morning again. Um, it's my privilege to be able to preach God's word again this morning. And uh, thanks, Andrew, for leading us again in worship. Uh, it's a total delight to have you serving like that every week and uh, looking forward to the time when we can actually get back um, together as a church and we can hear from some of the other worship leaders as well. I look forward to hearing from Jack and Zach and Emma. But uh, thank you, Andrew, for your, your ministry every week. I did ask Andrew in particular to sing one song, uh, Sovereign Over Us, because uh, this morning I want to speak to you about God's sovereignty, especially during this time of the coronavirus outbreak and uh, how we can understand God's sovereignty uh, in this time of lockdown. And so I want to start with two scriptures this morning, uh, just to set the scene of what I'd like to say. Uh, the first is Psalm 103 verse 19, which simply says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Isn't that amazing? Just this declaration that God reigns and rules and is in, as in, is in control of all things. And then Matthew 10, I want to read a, um, a lengthy portion from verse 26 to verse 40, where Jesus is about to send out his apostles, his disciples, and he says this to them. He says, so have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim it on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. What an amazing portion. What a, a, a fantastic portion for us to look at this morning. And like I said, I want to speak to you today about God's sovereignty. And uh, in the middle of this outbreak and the challenge that we are all having to face to overcome this, I want to speak to you about God's sovereign hand in your life. And sovereignty is really a philosophical word, uh, more than a biblical word. And it really means, it speaks about the Lord's reign in, in, and rule of power over everything. Uh, and uh, people like uh, Plato, for example, who was a philosopher, Greek philosopher, he used it. But the Bible really uses a word uh, quite different to that. It uses the word kingship. It talks about kingship and the ruler, the ruler of a king the rule of a king. And the idea is that God is king and that he rules and reigns over all, that he rules and reigns over everything. And my encouragement to you this morning is that God rules, even as we face this global challenge 
of the coronavirus pandemic. And that's why I started with Psalm 103, which simply says that he has established his throne in the heavens and his royal power rules over everything. And so when the Bible speaks about God's royal power, it's really speaking about two realms over which he has power. First, there's the heavenly realm, which we can't see. And the scripture says that God has established his throne in the heavenly realm from which he rules over everything. And it's from that place that he rules over this earthly realm in power. So as I think with you this morning about God's power, his rule, his kingship, or to use that word sovereignty, I want to ask by big um, I want to begin by asking a really, really simple question. Do you really believe this? Do you really believe that God reigns over every single detail of your life? I want to ask you to think about that. See, that's why I started with Matthew 10, because this is where Jesus sending out some of his apostles, and they were nervous about going out. And so he says to them, my friends, don't be afraid. Don't fear anyone don't fear those that can kill your body. Don't fear anything that can kill this body. Uh, and then as he does that, and he's, he's encouraging them with that, he starts to use that as a teaching about God being in control of every detail of your life. And so I say to you this morning that actually the basis from which I speak is the words of Jesus, that he said to his disciples, don't worry about any detail of your life because God is in control of every detail of your life. And he uses the image and he says, in fact, there are not even two sparrows that are sold or fall to the ground without your father knowing. And then he says to them, are you not of much more value than they are? Even the hairs of your head are numbered. And the Bible also says that God knows all of the stars. In fact, it says, the scripture says that he knows them all by number and he knows them all by name. And in the ancient world, there would have been about 2,000 stars visible in the night sky. And obviously today with telescopes, uh, we can see a whole lot more than that. And so even in our own galaxy, we know that there are billions of stars and that God knows each of them by number and by name. That's what the scripture says. And so God knows everything from a star that would take billions of light years to get to and the sparrow that falls to the ground. In other words, there's no detail that escapes him and he rules over every detail. And so Jesus says his as he sends his disciples out on this tough mission into the world, he says, don't worry, don't fear about any detail of your life because God knows and God is in control of every detail. In fact, he says, even your family might not understand your mission and even you might feel that they are against you, but even don't worry about that. Even though it's a tough thing that I'm doing, sending you out into the world, don't worry because God is in charge of every detail. And every single thing, no matter how small, even giving a cup of water in my name will not go without its reward. So I say to you this morning, as Jesus says to you this morning, don't worry about your life. God is in control of every detail. And he puts all of this in the context of the mission that God has called us to in our lives. And everything is in the context of his sovereign, sovereignty, that God rules over every tiny detail from billions of stars to a sparrow that falls to the hairs that are on your head. And so I come back to my question, do you really believe that? Now, maybe some of you are watching this and finding it easy to believe that. And maybe there's some of you watching this who are struggling with that idea. 
that God is in control of every detail of your life. Well, let me just say to you that as we, uh, if you look at history regarding this question, you we will see that there's always been a struggle uh, with people to believe God's sovereignty. Some people have loved the idea, and there's sometimes, in other times in history, that people have struggled with the idea. And certainly in terms of our Western background, our Western context, from about the 16th century onwards, the idea of God's sovereignty has been in steady decline. And so people today, like in uh, previous generations, ask questions like, well, what about suffering? What about calamity? What about the coronavirus? What about all the bad things that happen to good people? How can God reign over every detail of life? What about God's sovereignty and his kingly rule in such things? Wasn't God watching when this virus began to affect people? Was God not watching when people have died alone in their COVID wards without their families? What about 9-11 when it happened? Or, for example, the 2004 Indian Ocean Tsunami? Or 2010, the Haiti earthquake? Where was God then? Wasn't he watching? Why do people suffer daily, unspeakable acts of violence all over the world? Well, these are kind of questions that people ask as they look at the world in which we live. And they question the sovereignty of God. On the other hand, there have always been people that have really believed in the sovereignty of God. Um, uh, for those of you that know me, you know that I love history. And um, I find it fascinating that in the Second World War, which was fairly recent in terms of world history, both um, Winston Churchill and Adolf Hitler had a great sense of destiny. And we could use another word for sovereignty as providence. They had a sense of providence uh, that God was with them. And I say that carefully, but Churchill certainly believed that. And so, to some extent, did Hitler. Uh, Churchill believed that it was his destiny, it was his hour to ensure that Europe survived and was uh, kept safe uh, during the process of the Second World War. But equally, Hitler was driven by a great sense of destiny in his own life that he'd been called to establish a Reich, a kingdom, that would last 4,000 years. And both of them were deeply motivated by the sense of providence. Um, and we've had lots of opportunity during the lockdown to watch movies, which I love to do. And um, we watched the, I watched the Dunkirk movie recently again, which um, is about the rescue of British troops, troops from the uh, beaches, Dunkirk beaches during the Second World War. And when you read the history books, some of them uh, speak of people being involved with this amazing sense that God was with them. There was a sense of God's destiny and providence and helping them, God's helping hand upon their lives to enable all of that to happen. You can hear from my accent for those of you that don't know me. Um, I, I was born in Africa, in South Africa, and in the Boer War, which was a part of the, the history of South Africa, uh, towards the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th centuries, both sets of, uh, of um, uh, armies, the Afrikaners on the one hand and the British on the other, both felt that God was on their side. And sometimes that happens. We see both sides in a particular conflict claiming God's favor, that his hand is upon them and that he is on their side. And so we have people that do believe in the providence of God. We have people that have questioned the sovereignty of God. But secondly, I'd like to say, um, whenever great tragedy shakes people, it makes them think about God's sovereignty. Uh, I've already mentioned today, and we are talking about the context of this massive challenge that we are facing worldwide with the coronavirus pandemic. But uh, let me also make reference to another 
event from history to make my point this morning. Um, in 1745, that's 275 years ago, there was a math, massive earthquake in Lisbon, uh, here in Europe, and 80% of the city of Lisbon was destroyed. It was one of the major catastrophes of uh, that century. Lisbon was a major part of Europe at that time. It was the fourth largest city. And in that one event, over 50,000 people were said to have lost their lives. And interestingly, all the churches in the city were destroyed because the earthquake happened during one of the biggest Catholic festivals, All Saints Day. It happened on All Saints Day. And many people said, well, if God was in control, why did he let this happen? Especially on All Saints Day. Why could God not at least save the churches? And so many people lost their faith in the sovereignty of God because of that tragedy. Now, it's my conviction that real faith never can be lost. So maybe I should say rather that many people lost their belief in the philosophical idea of God's sovereignty. But often this happens when, when tragedy strikes. People surrender their faith in the idea of God's sovereignty and ask, how can God really be in control of all things when we are surrounded by such calamity and such tragedy? How can I really believe that God has established a throne in heaven and is ruling over all things in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic? Well, as we continue to think about this together, I want to look at some options that there are available to us to answer that question. Uh, I could put it another way by asking another question. Uh, when you look at the world, what's your general overview? What's your overarching view of life? And here I'm going to present some views of life to you for you to consider and think about as we think about this together this morning. Well, first of all, there's an atheistic view which simply says, atheists simply say, there's no God and this, this material world is all that we get. It's all luck. It's random chance. And we don't ever really know what we're going to get. There's no meaning to anything. And so in this view, the world can become incredibly impersonal, cold and merciless. It's simply made up of stuff and matter. And we don't get in any chance, uh, any, any say in how that stuff and matter is made up. So let me quote a famous atheist to you uh, that I'm sure you're familiar with, Richard Dawkins. Um, and he describes this view of suffering and good and evil in a book that he wrote called River Out of Eden. And he says this, he says, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replications, some people are going to get hurt, other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason in it, nor any justice. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties that we should expect. If there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but pitiless indifference. I guess then from an atheistic point of view, it would simply be the pitiless indifference of the universe which determines whether you live or die from coronavirus. Also, from a point of view of atheism, it's very hard to justify any kind of morality. Why should anyone live and choose to live in a certain way if it's all just chance and matter? If there's no logic out there, if it's random chance, if everything's cold and impersonal, why should we live a good life? And why should we do what's good for others? 
Well, I think the strange thing, of course, is that people really don't live in that impersonal kind of way. Uh, if you steal, if I was to steal something for someone, I'm sure they would say you ought not to do that. But then the obvious question is, why ought I not to? If it's just random chance and good and bad luck, it was your bad luck that I took that, and it was my good luck that I I, I took it. So what's the problem with that? If there's no measure of good in the world, why ought we to do anything good and even care for the sick, for example? Well, that's an atheist kind of view, which is an, sees the world in an impersonal way, a world of good luck or bad chance. And it is the worldview of some. Secondly, there's a deist worldview. Um, you might not be familiar with that word, but uh, deists believe that they do believe in God, but he's far removed. He's way out there somewhere. He's in the background. He's not really too involved with us. And you can't really know him or have fellowship with him. But he's, like I said, he's in the background somewhere. Well, that view of God, that deist view of God was, was really dealt a death blow in that event in 1745 with the earthquake in Lisbon. Because at that time, there were people like Voltaire and Rousseau, who were famous philosophers, and they were deists. And uh, that fitted well with all the scientific discoveries that were being made during that time. You might remember that Newton had just discovered gravity and others were making discovery of, uh, discoveries like electricity too. And um, the deist worldview of God fitted well with seeing our world as like a cosmic machine, like a giant mechanical clock that was ticking over and worked well. But God really didn't have much to do with it after that after that had been set in motion. So during that time, also people stopped believing in miracles. Uh, how can there be a miracle when the world is really just a great mechanical machine that works according to natural laws and principles? Well, that view of the world was, was shattered in the early 20th century, when, or the 20th century, with, when Albert Einstein came along and uh, came along with quantum physics, and, uh, physics and, and discovered and said that the world, the world is actually not a great big machine that is ticking along. He said strange things like space is curved, and I'm not exactly sure what that means, but he said uh, the gravity helps bend space, and he made all of these great discoveries which shattered Newton's view of the world. And so that's what Deus would say, that God is there in the background, but he's not really involved in our lives. And there are some ver variations of deism that are, are dualistic. And uh, this is a, quite a common idea in our, in our kind of um, modern world. And it's the idea that there are really two gods out there that are kind of equal. One is light and the other is dark. One is good and the other is evil. And that's how the ancient Persians saw things. And they really said that there was a cosmic battle going on between these two equal opposing forces of light and dark. And so Star Wars, which I'm sure is a favorite um, of many of you, and I'm not wanting to fight about Star Wars, but Star Wars is quite close to being dualistic, where we see the good, which is the force, and the evil, the dark side, and they fight it out in a cosmic kind of battle. And even Christians can sometimes be a little dualistic. And I say that because sometimes when Christians have too high a view of the devil, it in effect makes us dualistic. 
that Christians can somehow believe that Satan is equal to God. No, no, Satan is not equal to God. He's a much lesser created being. He's not at all equal to God. He, he's been defeated. He's under God's feet. And he's nothing like God. And so we must be careful as Christians that we don't, in our thinking, become dualistic, that somehow the devil and God are equal but opposite powers. That's not a biblical view at all. Remember, we're looking at worldviews in terms of thinking about how we can believe in God's sovereignty in the midst of this, this epidemic that we are part of right now. So we have an atheistic worldview. We have a deist worldview, which is, uh, can sometimes be expressed in dualism. And then thirdly, there's the view of determinism. And this, this is a view that says that everything is fixed or it's our fate. So even the evolution can be a bit fatalistic, that everything is fixed in our biology and we're controlled by evolution. And uh, even some psychology can be like that. You really are having a bad time in your life right now or in your relationships right now because you had a bad relationship with your father or your bad relationship with your mother. And because you had those problems in your history, you're having those problems now. It's like you're fixed to what came before and you can't break away from what came before. Uh, astrology can also be like that. Your destiny is determined by what star sign you were born under, that your life will be a certain way, that it will be fixed and determined because you were born under cancer or Aries or whatever it is. And that really is a fatalistic view of life. And my point in saying all of this this morning is, well, what way do you really live and see the world? What is your overarching view of life and how you see the world? Do you think that your life is purely chance? Do you believe that your life is determined by your biology or that your life is governed by your star sign or by your psychology or by your history or by other factors uh, that I haven't mentioned this morning? Well, into that I say to you that the Bible says that God is enthroned and he reigns and rules over everything in every detail. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. And yet, at the same time, the Bible also has a higher view of our freedom. And this is such a mystery. And that, this is why it's so hard to kind of uh, think about the sovereignty of God, because it includes this mystery. And often things about God are quite mysterious to us. We can't fully comprehend them. And we must be comfortable to live with some mystery in our lives. And I say, if we could, if we could fully comprehend God, then it would mean that he was so small that he can be grasped by our finite mind. What kind of God would that be if we could, with our finite mind, fully comprehend and understand everything about an omnipotent, um, all-seeing, all-knowing being like God. Uh, and one of the best physical examples I can think of trying to describe this mystery to you is that of the amazing story of Joseph. Remember Joseph's story? It seems like in Joseph's story, everyone is doing the things that they want to do, and yet God is getting his will done. You know the story of Joseph. He has a tragic life. He's betrayed and left for dead by his own brothers. They sell him as a slave in, uh, to, to the Egyptians. He rises to become the most powerful man in the world. 
in the in the land rather he interprets dreams for pharaoh and he ends up getting thrown into jail um, and he runs from potiphar's wife all those things happen in his life it seems like in his story everyone does the things that they want to do and he suffers for because of those things and yet at the end of, of the whole story when joseph is reconciled to his brothers that have betrayed him he says these incredible words you meant it for evil but God meant it for good. In other words, you were doing what you wanted to do. You wanted to get rid of me. You tried. You sold me as a slave. You threw me down a well. I've been here for 20 years, and even my father thought I was dead. You were doing all of that, and yet God meant it for good. God intended it. He shaped it. He planned it. And behind all was his hand that was getting his will done. So here my friends, is the great difference between Christian teaching of God's sovereignty and fatalism. God's sovereignty allows for human freedom. How does that work? (laughs) Well, I have to answer you and say, I don't fully know. There's so much about the Christian faith that I still don't understand. But God allows for human freedom, and at the same time, he gets his will done. That's what mean that that's what the Christian teaching on God's sovereignty really means. So if I can use myself as an example, no one forced me to believe to become a Christian. I gave my life to Jesus as best as I knew how. Now I'm following him. I'm trying my best to hear the voice of his spirit. I read his word, I pray, I live out the calling that I have been given as best as I can. I'm trying to work out my own salvation with fear and trembling, and I'm certainly doing all of that imperfectly. And yet, as I'm doing all of those things, however imperfectly I may be doing some of them, God is getting his will done for my life. How does it work? I don't know completely. I might be doing something for a particular reason, and for this reason, and for that reason. I might be doing some things for pure motives and some things in impure motives, but all the while, God is getting his will done. And so there's the difference between fatalism, between determinism, and a Christian understanding of God's sovereignty, is that God's sovereignty allows for our human freedom activity and our human involvement, and yet... God gets his purpose fulfilled. And that's part of the mystery of what it means to live as a Christian. The second example that I must mention, an example of this amazing ministry as we've, um, mystery as we've just celebrated Easter, is that of the cross. Do you remember in the book of Acts, when Peter gets up to preach on the anniversary of the giving of the law to the Israelites? Do you remember that story? And he's a, God doesn't simply give the people, the prayer of the law again. He pours out his Holy Spirit on everyone who's there. And then Peter gets up and he starts preaching and he says this, the one that you crucified, this Jesus, God has highly exalted him. And it was you, you people that crucified him by the hands of lawless, the lawless. But, says Peter, Jesus was delivered up by the foreknowledge and the counsel of God. And he says it in the same verse. In other words, he says, 
This was planned with the foreknowledge and counsel of God before the foundations of the world. God knew about that, and you by your hands, by what you wanted to do, put Jesus to death. But in all of that, God was getting his will done. <laughs> and they are so moved and convicted. They said to Peter, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent, change your life, turn around and be saved. You see, that's how it works. On the one hand, Peter says, Jesus was delivered up to evil men with the foreknowledge of God. And then on the other hand, he says, you did this and you did that. That's the mystery of what I'm trying to get you to see today. That's the mystery of God's sovereignty. So, the third time then, what's the difference between fatalism or determinism and a Christian understanding of God's sovereignty? It's simply this, that God gets his will done in the midst of the freedom that we have as human beings. Men and women are doing what they want to do, but in this, God is getting his will done every step of the way. So I ask you again, what's your view of life? What's the overarching view that you have of life? I don't think there are any people that are atheistic possibly watching this today. It's very unlikely. But perhaps there are some who are watching this morning that are deists, really deists. You believe in God, but you don't really believe that you can have much fellowship with him or much relationship with him. You don't really talk to him or pray to him very much. You, you don't expect any miracles in your life. Well, if that's your worldview, I kindly say to you that you are a deist. You believe possibly that the world is just like a big machine that runs without any inter intervention from God. It's like science and numbers. And X means X and Y means Y. And that's how it works. I say to you kindly, that's, if that's your worldview, you're a deist. But I want to encourage you, don't remain like that. Discover Jesus. He can do miracles in your life right here this morning, today. He's not far away. He's very near. He's here today and he wants to know you. And the scripture says, in fact, that he is our ever-present help in times of trouble. And so we're not living in a world that is like a machine. We're living in a world that's full of mystery and wonder. And the more we discover, we more, the more we know that that is true. Perhaps you're watching this this morning and you feel that you identify with that thing of being a determinist, that you feel like your life is controlled by so many things that you don't have control over, your biology, evolution, the stars, your inherited psychology. You might think that your life is just a meaningless chance. Don't think that your life is controlled by some destiny or fate that you know nothing about. Don't think like that. God loves you and he has every detail of your life in mind. We all need to have some view of life. We all need to be able to live well. We all need to be able to live bravely, especially at a time like this. What is your view of life? Have you thought about it? Is it chance? Is it evolution? Is it fatalistic? Is it another view? Well, of course, I'm trying to convince you today to believe in the kindness and the sovereignty of God in your life that God is in control of every detail and aspect of your life and that nothing that ever happens to you is either luck or chance. That God is intimately involved in every detail of your life. I say this because Jesus said it to his disciples as he sent them out. It doesn't mean that your life is 
is that God's life for you is promising you to be a cushy life, that you will automatically have health and prosperity. Doesn't mean that at all. That's not what I'm saying. I don't think either that I'm saying that whatever you do, God is for you. That's not what I'm saying either. Let me reference Matthew again. When we read that earlier, simply Jesus is sending out his um, disciples and he reminds them, he says, I'm not coming to bring peace, but a sword. It's not that you're not going to have any problems out there, but I'm going to fulfill my plan through your life and the destiny for this world that I have as you live for me. I'm sending you out. Don't worry. I see every sparrow that falls. How much more one I care for you as you live for me and do my will. So as I conclude this morning, I want to say three, you know, three elements of God's sovereignty that we can see. First, God sustains our world and he holds everything together. The scripture puts it like this, and I love this verse. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. In other words, God sustains all things and holds everything together in him. Everything coheres in the Lord Jesus, the risen Christ, the one that we've just celebrated over Easter, the glorified man. He holds all things together in himself. And he has put, been put into position as the king of the universe, even before the foundation of the world, that was true. And even more so now that he's been raised from the dead, it's true to even greater measure. And in him, in Jesus our world is being sustained and held together moment by moment and day by day. In him you live. In him you move. In him you have your being. And you would not be able to draw one breath apart from him. Every single breath you take, every single breath I take is upheld by God. And he's making all of this possible. In him we live and move and have our being. And he rules from his throne over all things. So that's the first thing that we can see about God's sovereignty. It sustains everything and upholds everything. But it's much more than that. Secondly, not only is God upholding and sustaining everything, he's also guiding everything towards a destination. God is steering everything. He's taking everything in a peculiar direction, particular direction. That's what Hebrews 1.3 says. It says the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining, in other words, upholding all things by his powerful word. This is the power of what that means. It means it's not, not only is God carrying things up by his power, words of power, but he's also carrying them along by his powerful word. In other words, he's got a particular destination in mind to which he is moving everything in the history towards a particular end that he has in mind. He's the Lord of the cosmos and the Lord of the universe. He's the Lord of history and he's taking the world to the destiny that he has for it. And I want to encourage you to start seeing the world from that perspective and looking through the world through those eyes. Everything at the moment is changing so quickly. This virus has changed our world. The economy has changed. Morality changes. This is the century of immigration into cities and, and the makeup of the world is changing before our very eyes. America and Europe no longer have the power and influence that they're used to and soon we are going to see other powers like China and India and some parts of Africa having much more influence in the world. Everything is changing. And so my question to you this morning is, do you see all of that with the eyes of, of Christ, with a Christian 
understanding that God is moving the world towards the destiny that he has for it. Jesus is the head of all things for his body, the glory of his church. And he has set his throne in heaven and he rules over all. So then, let me finish with this thought about how we can handle these tough things and problems that face us daily as we seek to live through this lockdown and uh, the coronavirus outbreak. How can we live knowing the sovereignty of God in the context that we're facing right now? Well, I want to encourage you with these simple things. You simply look backwards rather than looking forwards. This is, if you've heard what I've, I've tried to say this morning, and you understand what I'm trying to say, it's, it's a bit of a silly question to ask, to say, well, what has God predestined me to do tomorrow? That really is a silly question. Don't ask that question. Why? Because God is not intending to limit your personal freedom. He's not that kind of God. He gets his will done as you simply live your life. So I would put it to you this morning to simply obey God's word, to ask the Holy Spirit to help you hear his voice, to pray about your life, to follow the destiny and the calling that he has for you, and then to ask him for help as you're living that out. That's what we do. That's what I'm saying. When we look forward, that's... We look forward to doing what God has called us to do, our duty, if you like, as Christians. That's what motivates us. That's how we move forward, by uh, hearing his word, by asking the Spirit to help us, and by living our lives with destiny because of what he's called us to do. And then we look back on our lives, and we see the plan of God and how he's worked all things together for our good. Romans eight twenty-eight. Even in the midst of this coronavirus, as we look back, we're going to see God's plan for all of our lives, working all things together for our good. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of the pain of seeing people that we love pass, God is still going to work out his plans for our good. My friend Michael Eaton used to say this, life can be understood backwards, but it has to be lived forwards. In other words, I just do what God asks me to do, has asked me to do, and when I look back into my life, I see his mighty hand guiding me into all things. And so we look forward. I want to encourage you. Look forward in faith. Look forward in prayer. Look forward in obedience. Look forward in to do all that God's called you to do. Look forward in being faithful in what God has asked you to do. Be a good neighbor. Be someone who's living for others during this time. And as you look back, you will see the amazing plan of God in your life. His hand on your life, you will see his purpose, you will see his control in your life, moving your life towards the destiny that he has for you. So I'll finish where I started. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens. He has established his kingdom in the heaven and his power, his rule, as king, rules over everything. God bless you. I trust that you will live bravely this week, that you will live with courage, knowing that every detail of your life is held up by the hands of an everlasting Father who loves you, who is for you, and who has every detail of your life in his heart. And if you don't know the... the, the the wonderful rule of Jesus in your life, I want to invite you to pray with me. 
and you can pray the simple prayer and you can invite him into the home of your heart where he can begin to rule and reign and by his spirit teach you how he wants you to live so that you can live for others and live for his glory. So why don't, if you want to pray with me this morning, why don't you just repeat these words as I pray them. Lord Jesus, I come to you asking for your forgiveness. I come to you asking for your hand to begin to move in my life. I ask that you would come and make your home in my heart, that you would begin to teach me by your spirit how you want me to live, how you want me to be motivated, what you want me to do with my life. I thank you that you've forgiven me those things that have hurt other people because of your death, but now I give my future to you as well. And I ask that you begin to live in me and to move me into the plan and the destiny that you have for my life. And I ask this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, God bless you. Have a great week. Have a courageous week. Live with courage and know that God is for you and that all things work together for good for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. Have a great day.